can we use the bumps in the road and even the occasional roadblock as a means to help get to our true destination? This is Rabbi Yitzchak Price with another episode of Tachlis Talks, growth-oriented, partial-related Torah podcasts. We are up to the Parsha of Toldos, the Parsha within which Yitzchak or Isaac is giving the blessings to his son, planning to give the blessing to Esau or Esav, Yaakov, thankfully for us and for the destiny of mankind, manipulated his way into getting that blessing, and then he gives a second blessing to Esav when he, in fact, does show up. Commentaries grapple with a difference between the wording in blessing number one and blessing number two. Listen to the following verses. In blessing number one, when he's giving the blessing to the one who he believes at that juncture, until he recognizes his mistake, he believes at that juncture he is the one best suited to have control over the physical world and most inclined to be able to utilize that in some type of a positive spiritual direction. He gives the blessing, May God grant you from the dews of the heaven and from the fat of the land. Second blessing, the follow-up blessing, the blessing which was not the original intended blessing, The fat of the land shall be your place of residence and from the dew of the heavens above. Both times, giving a blessing for the combination of the living it up, having a good, uh, successful life in the physical world, together with the dew of the heaven, which is seen by some as a hint to the connectivity with the heavens above and spirituality. But there's been two changes. The sequencing, and the first blessing, the Tal Hashemayim, the dew of the heaven, comes first. The focus on the spiritual before the physical. And the additional phrase in the first blessing, of Yitain Lecha Elokim, may God grant this to you. And um, Chavetz Chaim notes regarding the first distinction of the switch of order that there was an expectation that the recipient of the first blessing, which turns out to be Yaakov, Jacob, Israel, ourselves, prefers the Tal Hashemayim. Our first focus is the heavenly dew, the connectivity with the spiritual. And second to that, is the success in the physical world, hopefully, as a tool to help support the spiritual. Whereas there are others, and understandably, sometimes we fall prey to this mistake as well, uh, but sometimes the others can have an attitude. The goal is the here and the now. The goal is living it up. The goal is physical, the, the, the comfort pleasures and, the, and all of the physical success and material wealth. And... I'll use a percentage of that for some type of spiritual endeavor as well, and that's rather tragic because really the Tal HaShemayim, the Jew of the heaven, that should be our primary focus, whatever pleasure we get in the here and the now pales in comparison to the ultimate pleasure of connectivity on a spiritual level to God and the eternal outgrowth of that type of a relationship. But focusing more today on the next issue, the issue of the added phrase, V'yitain elokim, may God grant this to you. Rashi, in his commentary, notes that this is God in the uh, sense of God as the judge, that may this be granted to you as proper judgment. And to the degree that the proper judgment from heaven dictates you should have this, may you have it. And if not, not. If it's not through the proper judgment, 
it is actually counterproductive to have those benefits, to have those assets, have that success, because it's not serving you any good if it's contrary to the ultimate heavenly judgment. Well, why would anybody have it if it's contrary to the heavenly judgment? That's the second blessing. The second blessing was given to the one that turns out to be the Esav, those whose focus in the world is on the physical, not the spiritual, and where Yitzchak is saying, basically, you, you, you're not going to be able to handle it. You're not going to be able to handle it if you are not granted a relatively comfortable existence. It's a shame, because that means you are preferring the creature comforts over what is in your true best destiny. So I want to talk about this issue a little bit today. This issue that we tend to often assume that what I want for myself is what's in my best interest. What I project toward my future, my dreams, my aspirations, my goals, my 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 hopes for the um, my stock portfolio's expansion, that those are all in my best interest. And forget that we're only seeing a very small piece of the puzzle. And there's a much bigger uh, picture that we may not be seeing and certainly not focusing on that can really dictate to what degree these elements are in our best interest. And to share from this work, Yakut Lekach Tov, on this Parsha, that shares the following story, a story of a Midrashic quality from the work called Yalkut uh, Sipurim, quoting over from a, a much earlier source, who shares that one of the sages of the Talmud, Rabbi Yeshub and Levi, right around the period of the end of Mishnah, beginning of the Gemara, a famed sage of Yeshub and Levi, whose name appears very often within the Talmud, asked God the question of questions, the question that has resonated from the time of Moses till today, the question of, help me understand why it is that the righteous suffer and the evil can often flourish. question which, by the way, Moshe asked and the Gemara describes was not given a full answer. We'll hopefully get to a little bit of what Moshe was shown as a response to that question and how it helps us understand the ultimate response. But Rabbi Shulman Lady made this request. How do I understand this? Can I understand it? And he was granted. He was granted a vision of Eliyahu Navi, of the Elijah prophet. And Eliyahu allowed Rabbi Shulman Levi to come together with him as he would go through his routine of generating different types of outcomes within this world, provided that Rishuam and Levi would not interrupt, pester him with questions, challenge him. He could not challenge what Eliyahu and Navi was doing, what Eliyahu was accomplishing. And of course, Rishuam and Levi was eager to join Eliyahu, Elijah the prophet, in this day. And they start traveling together. And they described it towards evening. They arrived at a hut that was clearly in poor shape and falling apart. An older couple who, whose house was just basically existing, whose finances were, situation was dire, and they had one cow. And their cow was their source of their sustenance. And they arrive at this house, and they ask the host and the hostess, this elderly couple, if they can perhaps sleep in the home. They're looking for a place to stay. And this couple go out of their way, even though they have so little in terms of any type of of material to provide them in terms of bedding. But what can we do to give you a comfortable spot on the floor, make it comfortable? What can we give you? And 
a fascinating display on their part of giving, despite the fact they had so little to give. Well, as they're about to leave the house, Eliyahu puts in a request to God. And he requests to God, to Rabbi Shuban Levi's shock, he requests, God, please kill the cow. Which then happens. Rabbi Shuban Levi has committed not to challenge, not to pester with questions. Stunned, but okay, let's continue our travels. They travel together. As they're leaving, All he, he can't... Uh, ignore the incredible screams of anguish coming from this home as they've lost that one cow that was their source of, of the milk and whatever little work it could could do for them. And he's walking with Elihu Anavi trying to figure out what possibly could have been the game by asking God to eliminate the cow. That evening they arrive at a home of a very wealthy individual, a palatial home. Knock on the door. Nobody answers. Elihu Anavi says, let's just try to go in. They go into the house, they see a lavish affair going on. The lavish affair is just dinner. But the, the table settings and the food on the table and the fine beverages and the, and the butler and the waitresses taking care of the needs of this family and the host of the home starts screaming, Who are you entering my house without permission? What are you doing here? Well, Eliyahu, again, not letting any on to the fact that he's Eliyahu, says we've been traveling, and I'm sorry, apparently we didn't hear the door, but we're traveling and we're hungry and we're, we're honest and we're safe and we just would like a place to be able to spend the night, maybe some food. And this person's saying, what? I should provide you food? I should provide you a place to sleep? And eventually he gives in a little bit. Okay, we'll let you sleep in like the back corner near the stables on the floor over there, not offering them food, not offering them anything in terms of any bedding, allowing them to stay over there. Well, the next morning as they're departing, Eliyahu puts in a plea to God. And he asks God, I noticed within this phenomenal structure, there's one wall that's not aligned correctly. It's starting to lean in a little bit. Could cause some damage if it continues. It's leaning in and potentially collapsing. God, can you straighten out that wall? And that's exactly what happens. And Rabbi Shulban Levi is besides himself. Yesterday you basically cursed that poor older couple who went out of their way to try to help us. And this rich, relatively miserly snob who wasn't giving us even a blanket, you're helping out to secure the structure of his home, but he couldn't ask Eliyahu, so he remains quiet. They continue on their travels, and they get to a synagogue. They come to the shul, and they ask around to the shul, is there any, anybody present who could potentially put us up? We could use a place to stay and some, some food. Well, at first, nobody's paying attention to them. Nobody's even offering them a place to sit in the shul. And then they start among themselves saying, ah, what are we going to do with these people? You know, they're, they're asking for our food. They're asking for our benefits, for our home. And one after another are declining to provide anything to these people. Well, eventually, the shamish, the sexton of the shul, the guy overseeing the situation of the shul, said to them, I'll give you a few coins from the pushka. We got a little uh, collection box, collection plate. I'll give you a few coins from there. Take these and go find yourselves something to take care of your needs. As they're leaving town the next morning, Eliyahu puts in his request to God. God, please see to it that all the members of this community will be leaders. They'll be distinguished men of rank. And this was too much for Yeshua and Levi. 
This was a whole shul that was declining them a place to stay. They were giving them a hard time about where to sit, even in the synagogue. And here you're blessing these people. You bless that other rich guy's house. You curse the older couple. He exploded with his questions. Eliyahu said, You asked? It's over. I'm going to depart. You will not see me again, but I will give you the answers. And the answers were as follows. That older couple, I saw that there was a heavenly decree. For whatever reasons, there was going to be some type of a major calamity within their home. And it could have been the loss of the wife. And I was asking God, let them suffer the anguish in a much less consequential way by losing the animal than actually losing one of the partners in their marriage. And that's what God did. That wealthy person, well, if that wall would have caved in, they would have discovered a treasure that was beneath that part of the home. Within the foundation of the home, the person who had the home before that, before they expanded the home and built into the palace that it was, had buried away lots of golden pieces right under where that wall was. And they had never discovered that. That wall is an old wall, hence it was leaning in. From the earlier construction, if it would have caved in, they would have discovered the gold. And I was asking God, let them never discover that added treasure. That shul, by praying that they all be leaders, what happens when you're all leaders? (laughs) Strife, no, no, no appreciation for each other. I was basically kind of locking them into their mode. You can't give to anybody else. You won't even be able to give to each other within the congregation. And he was showing Rabbi Shul and Levi how you have no understanding of each of my blessings because you don't know the background. You don't know the whole story. Once you know the whole story, it's a different, real different outcome. When Moshe himself, when Moses asked God, let me understand why it is that the good suffer and that the evil flourish, God responded by letting him see his back so to speak, a vision of God's back. He actually could see the knot of the tefillin on the back of the head, uh, the idea of God covering his, his head over with a talus. But he, the notion was seen from the back. And the metaphor that can help us understand this, he was saying, you in this worldly existence can only see from the back. The equivalent, if you take a needlepoint, beautiful needlepoint, there's a scene, actually I have uh, in my home several needlepoints made by my grandmother of blessed memory. One is a scene of the Tower of David in Jerusalem. But if you turn it around, take it out of the frame, turn it around, you see a mess. You see some threads, you see knots, no rhyme or reason it seems as to why, which colors are where, until you flip it back towards the front and see, oh, now I know why you had blue over there and white over here and some red over here. But when you're only looking at the back, it's a mess because you don't know the ultimate story. You don't know the ultimate picture of history. You don't know the various circumstances that are clicking together and what the outcome is meant to be. It can seem very bumpy, and it can seem like you're occasionally hitting a roadblock. You had different, very different plans, and you keep getting stifled. But maybe that's because your plans weren't leading you to the best destination. And maybe God, in fact, is pulling the strings because if, God forbid, we're in that other category, the category of the second blessing where God's saying, I'm not going to make it operate based on judgment. You can't handle that. That's the worst place to be. That's basically God saying, I'll dole out the good, let you live it up because it's not going anywhere. But if there's a destination, if there's somebody really coordinating that there is an ultimate goal to this whole trip called life, and you're getting to somewhere that's of good consequence, then we've got to understand that sometimes we don't know 
why the driver is going the way he's going and why you've navigated this particular route and why it's contrary to what we may have expected. But somebody who really knows the true destination and that's part of his big plan. Most is shown the back, like are seeing the back of that needle point, not understanding the full picture. Rabbi Yeshua Levi, not grasping each of the steps along the way in Eliyahu's reaction to that step because he doesn't see the whole picture. And again, inside any of those pictures, the couple, when they're losing that cow, could have easily felt, God, you must hate us. But they don't understand how that was actually protecting them from a worse calamity in that given moment, for whatever reason, not knowing the background to that situation. And so too, with all bumps in the road, with all seeming roadblocks, life isn't going the way we might have planned it out. If we can understand the fact that there is a driver who is bringing us toward a ultimate best destination for our personal best, ultimate best interest, it can be so so much more calming uh, in the mundane world and so much more elevating in the spiritual world, connecting us, giving us that opportunity to turn it back over to Hashem and say, hey, I don't know what's in store. I don't know what the plan is. I would have expected differently, but I know that you know the plan. <laughs> I was thinking back to a situation years back where you had moved into our uh, current home in Cincinnati and had somebody doing some work in the uh, dining room, drooling into the ceiling to put in some lighting. And he's drilling in, you've got dust flying out, you know, particles chipping away, and my young daughter at the time uh, yells, He's breaking our house. If you don't know that there's a plan, you don't know that there's somebody who is behind the scenes and has arranged what's going to happen with a best interest in mind, yes, it does look like you're breaking the house. Imagine, this is not my idea, of Elchanan Wasserman has this uh, elaborate form, but just in in simple form for the moment. Imagine you're a city boy watching a farmer take kernels of grain, kernels of grain that could be food, it could be sustenance, and he's tossing them into the wet earth and he's destroying them, not realizing that he's converting what would be maybe a uh, equivalent of one small lunch meal into something that can sustain a family for weeks or months. If we don't know that there's somebody who understands the bigger picture, a lot of things look destructive or at least disruptive in terms of providing my life's goals. But if there's a bigger goal which I may not fully even understand, yet the one who's ultimately pulling the strings up there does, that's the, that's the ultimate best interest. The ace of the world, God may say, I'm not going to bother designing something that's going to be in your judgment, in, the, in your best interest in the big picture. I'll let you get the here and the now. Enjoy it for the moment. But that's so shallow compared to living a life where there is an orchestrator who is judging what is best for us at different junctures along the way. Not easy, because we are still behind in the back of the needle point. We're not seeing the full picture. We are still observing the death of the cow, not understanding the, the salvation it was providing that couple. We are at the roadblock and not sure why we got there. But just recognizing the fact that it's not all up to us, and it's up to someone who has a much bigger picture in mind with much greater outcomes than we can fully ever really imagine for ourselves, then it will be ultimately calming, illuminate those stresses, help inspire our bitach on our trust in God, and make us be the type of people who, with that proper orientation, 
can go step by step toward being the, the real achievement of Eretachlis.